You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. On this week's edition of Gun on One, former NFL player Chris Long joins us to break down the Eagles. He also talks about his transition from player to media mogul. And he tells us exactly what Carson Wentz should say to outside criticism. Get ready for an uncensored edition of Gun on One right now. I'm Derek Gunn, and we finally have some positive news to talk about as the Philadelphia Eagles finally get in the win column, and more importantly, all of a sudden, they're in first place with a losing record. That just goes to tell you how bad the NFC East is, so we're going to talk about the Eagles, and we're going to talk about some other things, of course, on this podcast. We don't like just talking X's and O's, and my guest for this podcast is one of my favorites, man, 11-time NFL vet, two-time Super Bowl champion, son of a Hall of Famer. Eagles fans know him. They love him. Chris Long, man, thank you so much for being on Gun On One today. Much appreciated. D-Gun, man, it's good to see you on the platform, man. Uh, this is this podcasting thing is fun. It's a nice lifestyle. It's You're going to love it. I'm starting to find that out. Now, you're retired two years removed from the game. What's it like now being a full-time dad? It's awesome, man. You know, it was, a lot, it was part of the reason why I got out. You know, just my dad played 13 years. I kind of knew from him telling me in retrospect how tough it was. And, of course, I was born and my brothers were born like – early to middle of his career, my yeah. two sons, Luke and Waylon, we held off, you know, till I was uh, damn near a senior citizen. And um, that was great because, you know, I missed some things early, but I was also smart enough and mature enough to realize what I'm missing if I'm not paying attention. And also, like, know that if I, I get out by by time, you know, Waylon's three years old, it's awesome. I got his whole, you know, life ahead of me and seeing him play sports and all that stuff. I don't have to be tired from practice or home at eight o'clock out the door at seven in the morning. Mm -hmm. It's been cool, man. It's been special. So you go from being this dominant NFL public figure and all of a sudden now you're full-time husband, full-time dad. Um, are you one of those full-time husbands who spend a lot of time saying, yes, dear, I understand, yeah. dear. <laughs> Nah, D-Gun, so you're talking offline. I got this, and it's – my wife is is awesome. She she um, she played sports and uh, played lacrosse at Virginia, and we met there, and she's actually from Morristown there. So technically a Jersey girl, even though it's a southern tip, and so she's yeah. got the attitude to go with it. And we're pretty straight up with each other. Like, I I, I subscribe to the, hey, it's a 50-50 thing. We, may, we make the decisions together, you know. She's going to tell me when I'm being – ridiculous i'll do the same and that's a marriage is a partnership that's the way i look at it which sounds dangerous doesn't it <laughs> you know okay so 
it, it is a partnership, but you honestly believe it's 50-50. If you sit back and think for a moment, you will, you will realize it's more like 60-40, 70-30, and not in your favor, my man. Listen, when it comes to those two kids, I mean, um, Meg holds down the fort, man. You know, like we were both, as you said, being retired now, it's nice for me to be around a lot, but we were talking about it my – my schedule in the fall is crazy. Now in the off season, it's nice because I can make it a little bit more and I'd find ways to keep myself busy, busy with the foundation and, and with podcasts and stuff. But still, uh, my wife Meg is a trooper and just like most moms, uh, I don't know what I do as a dad without her. Uh, but listen, man, I, I make, uh, don't get it twisted. I make my fair share of decisions. <laughs> Okay, I'll let you think that, Chris. But, <laughs> but, but, it, but anyway, did you know? Did you know that you are a part of NFL history? Did you know that you were on one of only five NFL players to ever win a Super Bowl back to back years with two different teams? Did you know that? I didn't remember who the players are exactly. I believe is Ken Norton one of them. That's um, well, that's one. Me, LeGarrette. Uh, two was Dion one. Three. I can't think of the other one. Brandon Browner. Brandon Brown. Okay. So listen, when that happened, the coolest part of it was being able to share that title with, with LG. Like we were two guys. Yeah. Older guys, you know, especially as a running back, he's a little younger than me, but he's, he was older and people were starting to count him out and just really cool. Cause when you leave new England on your own, under your own power, people are like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and then when you go play in Philly, listen, I saw the Eagles as being a competitive football team. And I've told this story. We were getting ready for the Super Bowl in uh, the 28-3 game, and we were watching Falcons tape, and you guys played the Falcons that year and played them really tough at home. And I remember watching D-line and saying, that reminds me of the brand of football I was used to playing in the prime of my career. And I'd love to go – play somewhere like that after I thought about it after the season, I was like, I'd love to go play somewhere like that where we got a chance to be a part of something. Okay. I did this this year where I went and played out of position all year and, you know, did whatever was asked of me and joined an established program where people are like, even though there's no ring chasing in the NFL, it's mm-hmm. not like basketball. You, you, it's like the Patriots for all their greatness still had to scratch and claw for six championships in 20 years. Like, I got the, hey, you're ring chasing feeling. Um, and then I was like, I want to go be a part of something and have some fun and just see where the chips fall. And that yeah. was, and so LG was the same way. I remember he called me. He's like, what, what do you want to do? Like, I was like, come, come down here, bro. Like, I'm telling you, yeah. you're going to yeah. like these people. And, and then to see him sign, it was like, we're on this journey together. So that was a special moment for me and LG after that whole year. Well, the current uh, status of the Philadelphia Eagles were not as dominant as the team that you played with. I mean, they've had some struggles. They finally got it got it right. Um, and let's start on the defensive side first before we get to the offense. Um, the last couple of games, the defense has played much better. But tell me some of the kinks in the armor when you look at this current defensive uh, personnel that, that that stands out to you. Well, obviously, the linebacking core is always in flux, it feels like. It do- it just doesn't feel like G- Jim, and listen, to each his own, it doesn't feel like Jim places a huge premium on linebackers and Howie and Jim. Uh, the back end has been in flux. I can barely keep up with who's playing where. You know, I, one of, I, I think one of the biggest challenges was coming in the season is you, you, you've solidified the corner position but then you have a bunch of question marks at safety and then like leadership to boot with Malcolm leaving and that sort of thing. And so I think the D line is the best D line in the league. I I really, I I think when they're humming, they're the best D line in the league. I think people made a big deal about Washington and I think those guys are really fun to watch, but it was like after the first game Washington had eight sacks, we gave them six. We literally gave them six. I'm watching that game and I'm like, I could go line up and get three right now, right off the streets. Um, with some, you know, um, if you don't miss the layups, which I've done before, but uh, <laughs> I mean, sh- but like, I really do think if this defense wants to be competitive and they have to do it against teams, unlike the Bengals or the Nick Mullen led Niners, like mm-hmm. they have to go do that this weekend. They have to go do this against the elite teams in the league because mm-hmm. right now the offense is struggling. 
And it's like last night you watched New England and Kansas City play. And I had the Chiefs uh, given almost two touchdowns. But what was apparent to me was New England was playing like they didn't have any cushion. Mm -hmm. And when a defense knows they have no cushion, it makes no sense, but they always elevate their game. So I think that's what that defensive line has to do. And guys have got to step up in the secondary. And they did that last week. I mean, they, they did that two nights ago. We had sacks from what well, we saw Ridgeway show up. Avery showed up. Yep, Avery had yep. sack, forced a turnover. Those are things get lost in the shuffle, the force of a turnover. Derek Barnett played a great game. Josh Schwetz showing up. The defense, BG was a closer. I mean, BG mm -hmm. had a great game. Like, this is what you need out of that D-line. And Fletch takes up all the attention. So, I mean, if they can do that week in and week out, this team has a shot to weather this storm. When you look at the D-line overall, Malik Jackson, Javon Hargrave, and you were talking about how dominant they were. Last two games, they've had 13 quarterback sacks. They have 17, 18 for the season. Is this D-line better than the D-line you played with in 2017? I think so. I think we were deeper at edge personally, just because I'm, you know, I, I feel like I, I gave them something on the edge there yep. depth wise. But I think that uh, if Josh, well, I take that back. If Josh Sweat realizes his potential, I mean, mm -hmm. my man is, is real twitchy and Derek's playing well. I, I think it's a better D line. I do. Um, because you have more depth inside and you have more guys that can play. This is what they've been after for two, three years is, and they thought they had this when they when they brought in uh, Malik Jackson last year, and, of course, he got hurt right off the bat. But, like, they were with the Hargrave edition with Malik. Um, they, they've been looking for guys that can play three downs inside. Mm -hmm. and, and now they have that. So I do think the D-line is better than our Super Bowl D-line. I can say that uh, without taking that personal. I just – they're just they're just a deep group, and um, you got to lean on your strength as a defense. That's what it is right now. But the, um, but the are, secondary, yeah. D, I mean, the secondary last. Um, Cravon had a big strip sack. These are the plays that you're going to remember if you slide in. These are big plays. Rodney McLeod on the pick. Yep. I mean, even Slay on the hail mary, like just guys stepped up and made plays, and that's what it's going to take. Is Jim Schwartz running the exact same scheme as when you played? Are you seeing some variations from your time here in Philadelphia? Well, it's they're, they're playing more man, I think, you know, and um, OK. And I felt like I could be wrong because I barely ever paid attention to what was going on behind me. <laughs> I really didn't like <laughs> my job was simple in a Jim Schwartz defense. I just got done with a playbook that was 50 pounds in New England. So I was like, I'm just going to I'm going to get vertical. But like. I think now you 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 feel like Slay adds something that that you didn't have in yep. seventeen, um, and also Roby Coleman. He uh, that was a nice pickup. You know, you've been missing mm -hmm. a guy that can do that sort of thing since Pat Robinson. Uh, I don't think you're necessarily. I, you know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to say they filled that void because Pat was amazing. Right, but like. These are the little pieces that they've added that I think they did a good job with. You had a corner, you had uh, you had the kid from LA, uh, Robbie Coleman, and you had interior depth. So personnel-wise, I think they did a good job mm -hmm. defensively, to be fair. And adding Slay allows you to do more man-up stuff. And their blitzes got home on Sunday. They blitzed mm -hmm. at the right time. On the other side of the ball, man, they want to run the franchise quarterback out of town right now. You know how it is. This is Philadelphia, man. They want to run the quarterback out of town. Um, tell me what you're seeing from Carson Wentz that maybe that that has been missing from the Carson Wentz who was on an MVP run back in 2017 because obviously his game is not where we thought it would be at this point. Listen, I'm a guy who spent most of my career in bad circumstances, so – I'm always going to see those circumstances and point them out when I see that because there are very few players, and maybe Carson isn't one of those players, right? that can just thrive no matter what you throw at him. I mean, that's right. not to say he's not a guy with top five quarterback potential, but they're only like Russell Wilson is it. Like you can throw yep. anything at Russell Wilson. He's perpetually got the worst O-line. He's turned, and Seattle's done a good job of turning late-round wide receivers and guys you wouldn't expect mm -hmm. into just, you know, something that you can work with. And there's just not a lot of guys that can deal with what Carson's dealt with for – I mean, show me. Who who can? Like Aaron Rodgers yeah. threw to nobody last night. Yeah. 
you know, Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Famer. We know that's a slam dunk. Russell Wilson's a Hall of Famer. We know that's a slam dunk. What we what we can get out of Carson is fringe to top five quarterback play. And I think that he has crossed into that echelon at different times in his career. Right now, he's not there. Um, you have to look at the total picture. You throw in the guys that I call them like silhouette guys, shadow pictures in the in the in the program, guys that didn't he met guys on the plane that he was throwing to, it felt yeah. like. The kid Fulgham, I'm like, great play, and I don't even know who to yell at. Like <laughs> me either. <laughs> so, so listen, that's a real thing. The O line at different times, four out of five guys down. He is shaky right now. I was the biggest Carson defender last year because I feel like just people love to hate the kid. And yeah. he's he's on pace with like Donovan McNabb in a bunch of areas, and and he's throwing to nobody last year and, and puts up these gaudy numbers despite it. He's got to make the easy throws. That's what we can judge him on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people ask Doug about layups and Doug took issue with it, but he's still missing a few of those. And I think the biggest thing besides the intermediate accuracy, which I'm seeing is a little bit off when he extends plays too much, especially on like first down the the pick, you know, back, not backed up, but in in their own territory, just eat the ball. You're so talented. We want to see that in the right spot, but you know, I think if you show him that when he held the ball Sunday night for over four seconds, he was one for six mm-hmm. with a pick and 13 yards. Like, just be in phase. You're plenty good. You don't have anything to prove. Here's what you can prove to Philly fans. You know, hit the layups, and everybody knows you're throwing to nobody. See, tell me if you agree or disagree with me. I think the best Carson is the Carson who's outside the pocket using his athleticism. I don't think Carson is is effective being that stationary target in the pocket. That's not his game. Let him get outside the corral, man, and use all of the gifts that God gave him. Yeah, I think I think that's what you see in general and and a lot of times, you know, you roll people out to to cover deficiencies. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield, the minute it felt like in Cincy that they started moving the pocket for him, everybody was like, thank you. And, yeah. you know, like a guy like Mitch Trubisky, who's now sat and should be sat, um, you know, the best thing for him was to use his legs. But Carson is a guy that has elite, like, franchise QB talent. There's nothing right, really right. It's just that, like, this guy sees the field a little bit better outside the pocket, and he's got the size, the athleticism to roll right and throw strikes like he like he did a couple of times on occasion. Um, that's when he really looked good the other night. And don't get me wrong, he had a pretty good game considering the circumstances, but he, he he's still shaking it off. I don't know what it is. Mm. Sometimes I feel like some of these intermediate, intermediate throws are low. I don't know if you see that, D-Gun, but yep. when you have the quarterback, why – a guy's missing low and you mm-hmm. watch a slow motion replay. It's almost like he's guiding it and aiming it. I think it's, I think part of it's mental. And I think, uh, I think when you've been in crappy situations long enough and it's been a while now for him since he's felt like 2017, you press. And uh, I don't think he needs to press. He's so talented. And what's the alternative? Like Philly fans, what are you going to do? Yeah, what you yeah. you want to start over and watch him go to Indy with Frank? <laughs> yeah. You're right. Good point. Very I mean, valid point. We would feel pretty dumb if we, we saw him in a place like Indy lighting it up and looking more like 2017 Carson. You got to put the weapons around him. See, I don't know if Carson um, would ever admit it, maybe once he retires, but I wonder if the outside criticism in some ways is affecting him. This was a young man who was a legend at North Dakota State. He comes here as his future saver of the NFL franchise of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything's going upward the first few years of his career. Now, all of a sudden, it is kind of a bumpy road right now. You know, And, and as you know, being a former professional athlete, everybody handles criticism internally a lot different some some people it's like water off a duck's back other people take this stuff to heart and it starts to affect you mentally when you step between those stripes you're absolutely right and I mean I've never been a quarterback so I have no idea you know I was talking about Trubisky the other day I feel bad for the kid because all he's done is the best he can and the evaluators made the mistake not him I mean but I've never played in a city so big where I was playing such a big role as a franchise quarterback. And I can only imagine coming from North Dakota state to to end up in Philly. 
I have been a high draft pick and, and for the first, you know, 20 games or 24 games of my career, I'm going, I'm in my second, second season and I'm watching Derek Barnett. That's why I like, I really root for Derek is because I'm in my second season, halfway through the season, I got zero sacks as a, as yeah. a first round pick. I had yeah. five the year before or whatever, but like, there was a time where I'm reading bus next to my name on Google. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I know what it, and then, and then the next thing you know, second half of the season, five sacks and then 40 the next four years. So like you just, for me, it was at a certain point, you have to get beat up so bad externally that it can't hurt you anymore. That you say mm-hmm. like, I've hit rock bottom. Carson's got to feel like, Hey, I've already hit my rock bottom. It can't get any worse than, you know, some of these, some of these moments I've had the last year and a half, I've had some real highs, but then there's been the sequences like Washington in the opener or, you know, the, the lapses at the half before the half that seemed to have been, been going on the last couple of weeks. And I, I think Carson eventually has to say, I, I don't want to cuss. Is this a, a podcast I can cuss on? You can bleep me out. You know, we can always bleep you later. Carson's got to get to a point where he says, fuck these people. Yeah. It's, it's about, it's about me and my teammates and I don't give a fuck what anybody outside the building says because yeah. they already hate me. And if they already hate me, I have to remember that, like, I just need to go out and play and, and yep. play for these guys. And don't worry about the noise. Don't worry about people saying, hey, you check down too much or, you know, this, that, and the third. Like, just go out and play. Let it fly and have confidence and have fun. And, you know, I was talking to Jaws last week on my podcast. That he yep. told me a story about when they were booing him and they were in the huddle. He had, he had run out to the huddle and everybody in the vet was booing him. And he like couldn't hide because the coach called him back to check a play and he gets in the huddle and everybody's looking at him and, and he kind of laughed and was like, well, I guess they still love me. And it was that levity that he said that like, that was infectious in the huddle. And I think Carson sometimes has to just say, fuck them. Like, yeah, all good, man. It's just us here. It's us against the world and lean into that. I really love Carson. I think he's got all the tools. I also think he's a fine leader. Like that doesn't mean, He's everybody's got different tools in the toolbox. He's not going to exactly. be some guy all the time. I want right. Carson to be Carson, and that's enough to win you a Super Bowl. I really believe that. So um, I think he's just got to say fuck it. I don't know if it is the case, but who should be the one constant in his year, his mentor, uh, in his ear, uh, the, his mentor, his confidant, so to speak? Who should be I'm that not guy? Sure. I'm really not sure because I've never been in a quarterback room and and. You know, Doug's got so much on his plate. He's a head coach. So he can't, I suspect he can't hover over Carson nonstop. But if you think about 2017, we had Flip, we had Frank, yep. and we had Doug. And you've got Deuce, who people forget too, like uh, as an offensive um, influence. Maybe not so much on the quarterback level, but like there was this infusion of of different perspectives and minds. And, um, a lot of them were quarterback centric mind, you know, mindset guys. And, um, I think that that pool has kind of shrunk. So I'm not sure who, who the guy is. Uh, but listen, I, I think, I think with Carson, a Sunday night like that to get some confidence built back up the throw that mm-hmm. he made when it counted, like you can say the numbers weren't gaudy. He missed a couple throws. He's also running for his life. He's not throwing to anybody to deliver that strike, um, you know, to Fulgham. That's right. his name, right? Fulgham, yep. <laughs> I'm still trying to get comfortable with it. It takes one throw sometimes. I really believe that. It's just like a rusher, okay? It takes one sack, like, to get off the schneid, like a slump. Like, I talked to Cam Jordan about this on my pod. Cam Jordan yeah. is one of the best in the league. Yep. He's looking up a month in the season. He's got no sacks. And – He's panicking a little bit, and we've all been there. But, like, that one sack he, get, he got against Detroit, now they come in bunches. It's the same yep. thing I got with the quarterback. You make that one throw, you get the confidence. You, you mentioned Doug Peterson, and I want to bring him up for just a moment because uh, you you play for Doug. You know him well. Uh, you tell me if I'm wrong. This season, and I understand why because of the way they got out of the gate, but I've noticed a slight change in Doug. You know, Doug took pride in being a player's coach, protecting his players. Even when they they should be called out, he would take the bullet for his players. But I've noticed this season, you know, he's come out there. He says, you know what, uh, Carson, 
certain things, unacceptable. Uh, Jason Peters, oh, no, he left the game because of fatigue. Miles Sanders left the game because of fatigue. Uh, it sounds like Doug Peterson is starting to call these guys out a little bit more and expecting them to be a little bit more accountable. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Well, I haven't, I haven't seen all the sound bites, but I do think that's great coming from Doug. I mean, I think Doug walked yeah. that line pretty well. Um, when I was there, we worked our asses off. Like I came from new England where everybody was like, Hey, hardest working, hardest camp, you know, this yeah. and the third. like we worked hard in Philly. Um, right. those camps are no joke. You know, there's things that Doug backs off of as a, as a former player. There's things he lets go, but there Doug's got his things. And I think Doug's always been pretty accountability centric, but I think maybe publicly now, you know, he, he's not dancing around it as much anymore, but you could always use more accountability. I mean, really it's on losing teams, you know, on losing teams, you, you need veteran leaders to step up and, yep and help, but it can't always be, Hey, players figure it out. Like it can't be like, I hate player only meetings. Okay. All people talk about is have they had a players only meeting yet? I'm like, Oh, well that, that should work. Right. You know, like just <laughs> for 15 yeah. minutes and all of a sudden all the problems we have as a team are going to go away. Players take control on the practice field and in meeting rooms, like peer to peer, but then you need coaches to back it up. And yep. I think, I think Doug's just got to keep the accountability going. Um, you played on a 2017 team that was decimated by injuries. And maybe decimated is not the right word, but you lose to Darren Sproles, you lost to Jason Peters, you lost your, your quarterback who was on an MVP run. You look at this team. I mean, this is ridiculous, the volume of players uh, that they're losing. And we just found out that uh, T.J. Edwards is going to be out for a while. Now Rudy Ford is going to be out for a while. You know, if they can just can't hang on, uh, help is coming back. You know, D.J.'s coming back. Alshon eventually is coming back. But you know, tell me the effect that's having on a team that's struggling because, you know, they can't keep digging into the practice squad well because that well is almost dry now. It's hard, man. It's really hard. And it's 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 hard mentally. Uh, for certain players, because again, if not everybody's healthy, you can't fully evaluate a guy. Like you can evaluate Carson. We've done it for 15 minutes here, but like, still, I just don't know until I see him throwing to real guys. It's, uh, I mean, we're freaking out in Houston because Deshaun doesn't have the hop. He's still got Fuller. He's got, yep. you know, Brooks. He's got uh, Cobb, Kenny Stills, the tight end. Um, now, I'm not saying Carson's playing well as well as Deshaun right, right now, but right. it's just. It's, and, and then, like, defensively, I've been a D lineman where you've got nobody in the secondary. That affects how you're getting home. So it affects people's confidence. You know, Lane Johnson, uh, who's one of the best in the game, yep. he's got to play next to a different guard every week. Or, you know, if the center's got to give – Kelsey's got to communicate calls to a different guard and a tackle every week, like, it affects your job too. And then on top of that, it's just uh, – it's one of those things you have to look around the league and say, hey, everybody's hurt right now. Um, and not feel sorry for ourselves, you know, um, because injuries have been one of the biggest stories of 2020 so far. Now, nobody is as perpetually injured as the Eagles over the last four years. I don't understand it. Right. Uh, but it's around. I mean, you looked at San Francisco, you got a win that was a lot in part because of some key players, too, that were out. I mean, you think we would have been excited about Nick Bosa lining up over Jordan um, or, you know, um, who else they have Richard Sherman being on the field or yep. even Jimmy G like every team's dealing with it. You just have to adapt. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question about Eagles personnel. Then we're going to move on to some more fun stuff or some more pertinent issues. You mentioned his name a little while ago, Derek Barnett. And a lot of people here in Philly have been down on Barnett being his former first round pick, not living up to expectation. Get, break down Derek Barnett for me. A young man who has unlimited potential. Um, it seems like he's he's hot one minute and cold the next. Yeah, I think for him the biggest issue is staying healthy. I mean, like this is such a big year for him, and I, I think he's going to continue to prove that he can be a guy that you want back uh, and that you you want to extend and maybe not at top dollar, but he's a guy who can be a good rusher in this league for a long time mm -hmm. and a good all round player too. It's not like he just rushes the passer. 
I, I think Derek is the pros there is he has a rare ability to turn that inside ankle. If you see Derek okay. and we kind of marveled at this a little bit, you see certain guys that the ends all have different skill sets. Derek's is that his, the outside of his inside knee can damn near touch the ground as he's turning the corner. Like I call him Gumby. That's crazy. He literally that flexible. <laughs> One of the, guys, the, guy, the guy that, that I played with that, that was three times bendier and is just so rare as Robert Quinn, who's closing okay. in on sacks in his career. And he's, he went to Chicago and he's like a year older than Leonard Floyd. So that's how young Robert Quinn is. Robert mm-hmm. Quinn's going to have 130 before it's all said and done. Talk yeah. about guys that if they were on good teams, you talk about Canton. Um, Derek Barnett has that bend and he also has pop and power. He's not the most built dude. He's not the like, you know, I'm calling bad body and all that stuff. And, and he's not long, mm-hmm. but he gets into people's body. He's explosive. He has good feel rushing. And if he continues to work on his hands, I mean, there's a guy who could have double digits any year. I mean, I really believe that. And you saw the right. other night ran right through Trent Williams blew up the, the toss play. But my favorite thing about Derek Barnett is his effort. Like watch that touchdown, uh, the Iok touchdown. Yep. And we saw Jalen Smith, chase down OBJ and finish in the end zone. And at first I saw it on TV and I was like, good effort by that kid. And then I saw the wide shot and he's loafing. <laughs> Eric Barnett is running past people to chase him down. Um, and it wasn't his fault. I mean, that's right. not his play. So it's not like he's in a panic because he screwed up. That's just who he is. And that's the effort that you see out of this kid at Tennessee. If he can stay healthy, he's going to be a fixture in Philly. I really believe that he could have eight, 10 sacks this year. And it's not like you guys have had a ton of double-digit sack guys. Connor Brown right. was one, but Connor was an outside backer. You know, Connor was that outside backer type. So since Trent Cole, you haven't had an end, I don't think, a true defensive end mm-hmm. that, that had double digits. So if Derek is around 8-10 sacks, I don't know why anybody wants to run him out of the town. He's got to stay healthy. That's it. Hey, something you never had to deal with as a player. This COVID thing is, is crazy, man. And, and a lot of players a lot of people within the organization uh, NFL organization are holding their collective breaths um you know hoping this thing just doesn't explode I thought the NFL has done an outstanding job in terms of minimizing the the number of players and in front office personnel coaches from contracting COVID but now you're starting to see uh players coaches maybe getting a little too relaxed because the NFL just sent out another mandate if you people don't take this seriously you're going to forfeit games we're going to take away draft picks are you surprised that yeah. from from what we're seeing that maybe players and coaches are take coaches have already been fined that they're not taking this thing as serious yeah. as they should well i think i think it was coming into the season i didn't think we'd get this far unscathed um yep. Now, certainly we, we, we had a cancellation or a postponement, but I thought it'd be much worse, even in camp and coming out of camp. As that first week passed and we didn't really have anything uh, mm-hmm. that was popping up on the radar screen, I was like, man, these guys are doing great. I still think guys are busting their ass to get this thing right, but all it takes is one, right? That's the hardest thing. The NBA, we laud them, and I've done it. They're in a bubble. There's, you know, 10, 12 guys on a team. You got 53 guys plus staff. You're bringing in guys that you're working out, you know, especially the Eagles. How do you work guys out safely? And you've got to work out about 20 a week, it feels like probably. You know, the league should crack down a little bit. The first guy in Tennessee that got it was a coach. Now, that's not saying he was out being stupid. It's not. You're right. It's not. It's not like. We're, we're, we're learning about this thing as we go. So the players don't have a full understanding of how you might get it. The CDC is popping up with new updates every week. Wear your mask, be smart, stay home. It's football season anyways. What the hell are you doing out eating and, and going to a bar? Or, like I just, and that was never important to me as a player. Although I went to the bar a few times, but like, yep. just lock it down, man. And um, you saw in Tennessee, one positive turned into 20. New England's not out of the woods yet. You know, like New England had no positive test, but the incubation period um, is like three to seven days. So mm-hmm. I think as the weather gets colder, the NFL, and I'm not being alarmist, might have to stop and start at some point. They might have to consider bubbling. I do think the playoffs might have to be considered being a bubble situation because could you imagine losing Cam Newton in the playoffs? That's where it becomes serious. 
See, that's what I was going to ask you. Should the NFL consider going to a bubble format the way the NBA did? I think they, uh, listen, I think you, you, you try your best. And I, I would suspect this is what they're doing. Try your best to get this regular season slate as far as you can. They kind of lucked out with the bye week situation with the Steelers, but even so the Steelers don't like that. They, they don't like their bye being earlier. They, they enjoyed that right in the middle of the season bye. They, they were getting um, Tennessee wounded. Uh, it felt like this was the right time. Right. And, and certain teams are like, hey, we're staying healthy over here, and you guys seem to be just tricking it off. Like, I'm pissed. You should have a loss. I, I, I actually think eventually they have to consider the playoffs being a bubble. Um, and maybe if you get in December down the home stretch, it might get mm-hmm. out of control enough because everybody's inside. It's colder that you, that you need to delay a week or two. If we're lucky, we get to December that way. A bubble in the playoffs would actually be kind of cool. You could like, I don't know, Bahamas, D-Gun? Yeah, like, what do you yeah think? there you go. That's what I'm talking about. And we could get credentials? I'm you there, man. Some credentials, you know- well, you know, dude, I, I'm out of work now, so you know care. you got to get me. You, You're still deep You got to get me. You got to get me credentials. <laughs> You're the big name now. <laughs> no, we're going to Bahamas. Fight Island. It's like Fight Island in UFC. If they set something like that up, it would be awesome. I will. I will love it, dude. Hey, look, you were a player on this side of the microphone for 11 years. Now you're on my side of the microphone. You become this yeah. media mogul. What's it like being an interviewer instead of the interviewee now? I, it's hard, man. It's hard because you, you you prep, you got things to say. Like, but people don't like, I always think people don't care what I'm saying. You know, it's, it's and yeah. so I'm totally different as a guest. I try to be different as a guest than I do as, a, as an interviewer, but still I yeah. screw up at it. I mean, like, you know, nobody wants to hear what the hell I'm saying. They want to hear what Cam Jordan's saying when I have him on or Fleece right. Red Hot Chili Peppers are like, just, I've had some great guests and resisting the urge to like, you know, be too big a part of the interview. I mean, that's right, the hardest right. part is like, hey, it ain't about you. I know you prepped really hard, but nobody gives a shit what you say. And uh, <laughs> I'm not deep done. People don't trust me. Stop, <laughs> stop. But like, See, you've had, okay, so you've had 20-some, how many years were you doing what you were doing in Philly? Uh, 23 in Philly, 41 in the business. So you've been at it 40 years. Like, people trust you. I'm breaking into the business. I know, like, players, they automatically, we get certain opportunities, but I have to build the trust as somebody. So, like, on on an interview, from an interview standpoint, I love interviewing. I love talking to people. But if I'm doing my Monday and my Friday show, I think what I try to do is, and we all do it, is, Talk about what you know. I mean, like, right, right. It's hard when you're covering all the teams, and I get caught sometimes, like, overextending myself or making an assumption or just taking something I read and, and, and running with it rather than, like, really right. digging and confirming it with the film. But, like, the hardest part during the season is scrambling to cover. I got listeners who are like, well, why didn't you talk about the, the Bengals today? I'm like, because there were 16 games. It's yeah. Monday morning. I haven't been able to watch all of them. Um, but I love the grind. It replaces – it replaces playing football to a degree. What's the hardest thing about being an interviewer? It's like, it's literally like, it's like playing the NFL. You, you, you learn different things about yourself. Each interview and each year, it's like self scout is big. It's like, did you answer the question for the person? Did I leave them enough room? The pause thing. Okay. Like you and me talking, we know each other. Like we're right. Football. This is like this right. is smooth. But if I'm interviewing somebody I never met, like a musician or right. even a player that I've never met and may not have the best chemistry with, is like not being afraid of that pause. Because if you let that person just kind of mm-hmm. you let it breathe a little bit, they're going to give you something. They're going to sit there and think, or maybe they panic. It's like a game of chicken. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And so I think that's the hardest part is like just self scouting yourself, not being nervous, also realizing that the person took the interview because they want to talk to you. Like, I always feel like I'm wasting people's time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's an urge I have to resist is feeling like a pain in the ass. Cause for years, as you said, I was in the other chair where people were hitting me, you know, hitting me up in locker rooms to talk. And I think as long as I'm fair and I try to stick to what I know and I don't like, and I pick my spots and having fun with it. And like, there's certain things you don't make fun of 
You know, we have fun with the Falcons, okay? Mm-hmm. I make fun of the Falcons. I make fun of the Lions. But when Dan Quinn f- gets fired or, you know, when Bill O'Brien just got fired, you don't want to make fun of people. Like, I have right. a fun, funny show, but I try, I try to walk the line where I don't, like, make it personal. And that's one of the biggest things. You know, you were talking about being a being a pain in the butt. And, and when you were a player at times, you were a pain in the butt too. And I'm going to bring up one instance incident where uh, your last year with the Eagles, um, I'm outside the locker room and I said, you know what I'm talking about. And I said, Chris, can I talk to you for a moment? And you said, uh, I'm going to go talk to my family. I said, okay. And all of a sudden I noticed you're still standing behind me. He goes, D-Gun, am I not allowed to talk to my family? I'm like, what, what are you talking about here, man? <laughs> what, the, what are you talking? I said, okay, you gave me this, you gave me this lecture about being able to go see your family. And I'm thinking, I have, I don't know what he, I don't you know, know what happens, happened to this all of a sudden. in what? the household, D, you know, you misread a look, you know, <laughs> I had this, you, you got to understand where, and you know this, cause you've been doing it for so long. Cause um, I'm old as dirt, right? <laughs> no, but you've dealt, you've dealt with a lot of pissed off players. And I think the thing with me is, yep. Always, I'm always willing to answer questions, and I'm always like, 18 yes. was rough at times for me. Like, right. I was not in a good place mentally sometimes that year, and I'm walking out of the locker room. It must have been after Carolina, maybe. I can't remember the game. I just remember the incident, and I said, you know what? I'm never going to forget that. And when you agreed to come on the podcast, I said, oh, yes, I'm bringing that moment up. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Listen, I'm not immune to being a, a prick, and I'm also temperamental. But, like, what I tried to do for the most part was be there, be available. And I think, like, right. it's funny when I got to Philly, everybody and everybody was like, oh, he's so nice to the media. And, you know, he gave me the media nice guy award and all that stuff. And, <laughs> and, and, and but, but the thing is, what people don't realize is, like, this is nothing, okay? I stood in front of my locker right. for eight years, one in 15, two in 14. Yeah. I mean, like this is nothing. And St. Louis media was always cool to me because I did stand up there and ask que- and answer questions. I think that's right. part of being accountable. So that day I apologize, D-Gun. But it's, it's one no, of those things. No. You, have to, you have to, as a player, you have to be accountable. You have to stand up there. I know there's some days that, and there are stupid questions. You know this. Some of your peers ask. No question. Questions. There are no questions. Oh my goodness. But you got, you, you got to do your best to, because as a player, Everybody gets a blow up or two, but your teammates are going to see that. If you're a leader, your teammates are going to see that like meltdown. And yep. they might say, is he rattled or, you know, is he not accountable? How am I going to be accountable? I just saw him shirk his responsibilities. He had a bad game. Yeah. Um, and and now he's going to be on the practice field telling me to step it up. Like, what do you mean? You can't even be accountable to the media. Yeah. You know, so so I did. That was my personal way of doing things for the most part. But obviously some days. <laughs> now, I will say this. I will tell everybody this. About a week later, um, we were in the locker room and you came up to me and said, D-Gun, um, hey, I just want you to know, I wasn't trying to be a bleep. And, you know, I said, you know what? That's a stand-up guy right there. You remember, you know what I'm talking about. I said, that's a stand-up guy right there. You didn't have to do that. You know, you yeah. could have let it go. I was going to let it go. I didn't even think anything of it. But I said, no, you know we're what? Both, we both that's, busy enough. Yeah, you know. So I said, that's a righteous dude right there. And I appreciate that, man. I wish there were 1,600 Chris Longs, Brandon Grahams in the NFL. Obviously, there can't be because you have so many different personalities. But I wish you oh, were a hey, – yeah, man. Hey, one of the biggest tra- one of the biggest travesties – of, of you not being around there is not seeing you in BGF. <laughs> hey, dude, what am I? It was always, D God, I told you, I told you every week. Wrong again, D God. But that's the way he talks on the field, too. Like, it's trash, but it's like, you know, he's always with a smile on his face. Like, that's why I love BG. You know, he's yeah, just, man. He just lifts you up a little bit. Now, see, you're retired, but. Man, you have a full schedule. I want you to tell everybody what you're doing out there now, man, because I can't even keep up with you. I can't keep up. Um, so I got Greenlight. My podcast is called Greenlight Pod. We have a lot of Philly yep. listeners. I love that. Um, it's awesome. And um, I'm on on Monday and Friday. Uh, so our pods usually drop fr- Monday afternoon and Friday morning. 
Okay. Um, and then I, I do Amazon Prime. We were talking offline. I don't like doing any media stuff where I got to wear a suit. Amazon doesn't make me wear a suit. Right. Tuesday I do, uh, we record the Amazon show. And then Thursday night I do uh, Amazon streaming. So like live stream with Andrew Hawkins and Carrie Champion. So Wow. So so busy week, but, you know, I got the foundation on top of it. Chris Long Foundation, waterboys.org. Yep. Um, I stay busy, but I have like... Um, I have um, I have a wife who's very understanding. Okay. You know? Now, when it when it comes to your, the media side of Chris Long, do you do a lot of your own research to get ready for things? Do you have a, a, a team of people that may, you know, do research for you? How do you handle that? Because, man, being a husband, you know, you have two small kids, and now you got four different uh, media entities as well. Yeah. Well, it's hard, um, as you know, it's hard to to dig into the numbers, and I think yeah. half of it is. The main, the main, the meat and potatoes is watch the games. Okay. Yep. Watch the games. You're never going to be perfect. I'm not going to act like I, I'm grinding tape on the all 22 of every team in the league every week. But right. You know, if I can see the game, take notes. Like on Sunday, I wake up, study in the morning, then I watch. T- you know, I watch games from um, noon to the end of Sunday night game. But yep. it's like strategies about. Okay, the four o'clock slates kind of games I'm not going to be talking about. There's some stinkers. I'm going to go back and watch the game rewind of a lot mm-hmm. of the first game, the the one o'clock games while I watch the four o'clock, and then the Sunday night game I might watch. You know what I need to watch from the four o'clock game, and then I'm up till three catching up on the Sunday night game. Wake up at you know eight nine in the morning. The big key though, like you said, is what did I see? What numbers yep. do I need to back this up? And that's why I got a dude here, producer, who's a who's a research guy, Cowboy Reed. So shout out to Cowboy Reed. I hit him up with a bunch of stuff on Sunday night. And in the morning, I wake up with numbers. But I know mm-hmm. what I saw. And so the numbers are going to confirm or deny that. And that's kind of the way I, I work. And and it's fun, though. I love the research part on my own. Like, I'll, I'll, I'm knee-deep in the laptop all day long. Okay. Uh, my own account. Did your dad have a direct influence on you making a transition to media? Yeah, and not not because he's not amazing at it, and I love watching him, but not, you know, what not to do. Um, because I watched him and how famous he's become. And yep. just like, I'm, I know some people, because I'm outspoken, are like, well, Chris likes, I don't like being talked about like that. Like, You're right. you know, it's it's a lot of the reason I'm doing podcasting and not, on TV, like it makes me uncomfortable being on TV and you seeing my face every day. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? It's just one of those things where I'd rather be able to walk down the street and somebody be like, Hey, I listen to your podcast. It's a different kind of like notoriety than right. you're on Sunday on Fox or ESPN or like, you can't go anywhere. And so if I was to be successful, like if you, if you do something, you want to be the best at it. Mm-hmm. If I was going to be the best at, 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 as a suit, TV guy, there's no getting out of it. Like, yep. you can't escape. If you're a podcast guy, you can kind of do things the way you want to do it. Right. You got your own boss. My dad has to, you know, he's got he's got a lot of leeway because he's a fixture at Fox. But, you know, there's going to be things on Sunday where they're like, in the A block, we're going to talk about this. This is how it is. We got to mm-hmm. talk about it for this long. My podcast, I produce it. You know, I run it. I got a great co-host in making a guy I grew up with. I got my research guy. My office is five minutes down the street. I don't have to travel to LA like my dad did for years. Mm -hmm. I got a nice setup for me and I'm lucky, you know, football paid the bills. Um, When you rush, when you're a pass rusher in this century, it's, it's good money. That's right. Make his money playing football. He made all his money after football. So studio job was like where the money was. Um, Does the podcast life pay well? I have no idea yet. So it so it does until you realize that you're running a business like and <laughs> you have to pay people. So like we had a great year, but you know, part of it is like figuring out, okay, what are the expenditures? Because I'm not I intentionally, and this is another decision I made, is I didn't want to join, you know, we've had offers to go under an umbrella. Right. You know, and get some muscle behind our pod distribution, that sort of thing. So when I hit send, we've got a hundred thousand more people listening to it off top. Right. But 
I'm fine with living in the zone we're living in right now um, where, you know, a good day we're north of 25,000, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's awesome for me. A year ago, I never right. would get, I know it could be much better, but I also like the autonomy. And so I think the money's slower and the listenership is, is slower if you go alone, but right. I'm having bosses and I would rather just slow grind and grow this brand honest and like our listeners kind of, you know, organically, there's mm-hmm. nothing I'd hate more than somebody having like a plat, a platform that they love to consume. D like, right. Yep. And then all of a sudden they're like, who is this guy that I have to see on my homepage every morning? No, no, no. I work for myself. If you find mm-hmm. my pod, I don't want to hear about how much you hate it. Just listen to something else. Cause you right. had to it out. And that's why I like doing my solo thing. So you have no aspirations of one day going NFL network, CBS, NBC, Fox, anything like that. You never want to say never because, right. like, you know, I sound real tough until you see a check. <laughs> You're right. I love working from home. I did the Thursday night gig for Amazon yeah. last year only because, in my mind, I got to travel to Philly every week. That's where the NFL Films headquarters right there in, in Jersey. So I get yep. to see Philly again. And that was a place I was really missing last fall. And so to do that, and it wasn't my weekend, I still can like hang out, drink beers with my buddies on Saturday and Sunday. Like yeah. my life is important to me. Like, you know, what am I doing at a certain point? If, if doing podcasts is paying the bills, keeping me busy, I'm fulfilled. That's what I want out of life. Now, somebody could come to me and be like, hey, you know, come do this. It's going to pay this. It's going to mm-hmm. be, I'm going to have to look hard at it. But there's also a downside to doing the big stage stuff. Like, you get the Monday night job, not that I'm ever in the running for something like that, but on the right. extreme of the pinnacle of TV success. Yep. There's a 50, 50% people hate you. Like, and your career is never going to be that you're like, people always think that's the guy that bombed on Monday night, or that's the guy that wasn't ready for the CBS studio show or the Fox studio show, like grow at your own pace. That's what, that's the way I'm doing it. You know what, though, no matter, and I tell people this all the time, no matter how nice and professional you try to be in our business, there's always going to be a faction of people that's not going to like you uh, because of your voice, hairstyle, uh, beard, you know, uh, uh, clean shaven, color of your skin. If you try to please everybody, you would drive yourself nuts. But if you be true to who you are and because you have that personality, you know, you're going to win over more people than not. And that's all you can do, man. You'll kill yourself trying to please everybody. It doesn't work that way. And here's the thing. Somebody asked me about this and you probably go through the same thing. And like, you want to do your new podcast the way you want to do it. You've got 40 years of experience. People in Philly love you. Your takes are awesome. You have the knowledge. There are going to be people that are going to tell you, hey, D, like to optimize, you got to do this, you got to do that. Somebody asked me recently, because I had a buddy get a new podcast on a big platform. They were like, do you feel like you're competing with your buddy? I said, competing, like I'm only competing with myself because for me to be competing with somebody, that would mean if they're doing better numbers, what I have to do is do what they're doing or do it more like in football, there is one measure for success and that's your tape. And, and right. it's a production business in podcasting. I could sell more if I go try to do what, you know, podcaster X is doing, be more sensational, grab headlines, right? You know, button up my show a little bit, but I'm not going to be happy with my product. So I'm competing with myself. Um, yep. and that's the way I look at it. And, and, and I, if, if my ceiling is 25,000 or 50,000, you know, downloads, I can live like that the rest of my life if I'm being me. But I'd rather do that than 200 and be some fraud. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. One other uh, final topic I want to talk to you about before I let you go, because I've kept you way too long, is, you know, I have the utmost respect for you, not only as a person, but because of your commitment to the Water Boys Initiative. Uh, and for people out there that don't know what that's about, it's an initiative where they dig wells uh, in East Africa. Um, you've been a part of this for a long time now. Have you just donated money or have you physically gone over there? I know a lot of players, NBA players, yeah. NFL players, have donated a lot of money to this cause yeah so i mean like to get this thing off the ground obviously like we donated a ton of money um we funded this thing back in shoot it's been five seven years almost um since i went to tanzania for the first time so right 
basically I fell into this thing by going to Tanzania one off season. Maybe it was after 2012 season. I, um, I went with a guy named James Hall. Do you remember James Hall? He played for the Lions for a long time. Great rusher that played in obscurity and then ended his mm-hmm. career tragically in St. Louis. Uh, I feel bad for my guy. Uh, shout out to Jay Hall. He was my big vet. He was like my OG. So right. I said, OG, let's go take a trip. Let's go over to Tanzania. Let's climb Kilimanjaro. He's like, you're crazy in an off season, but I'll do it with you. We went over. We loved it. Also, we got to see the disparity in the way of life. And one of the things that we take for granted here is clean water. Now, yep. ideally we do, but in some cities and counties, and in more than you think, water sources are contaminated or scarce, um, especially in a time of COVID, like we're working domestically right now uh, on Navajo Nation. Uh, the mm-hmm. water shortage there is absurd. You know, you're 18 times more likely to not have access to clean water as a normal white American, if you're right. Native American. And those numbers go up, of course, if you're a uh, black American and that sort of yeah. thing. Like there is inequity here from a water access standpoint. And, um, but it doesn't, it just pales in comparison to what we saw over in East Africa. And, you know, it's one of the leading killers of children from ages one yeah. to five around the world. I mean, yep. kids are dying because of diarrhea. Um, and waterborne illness and women and girls are taking these dangerous treks to gather water five miles away, um, dangerous treks. And, you know, what we've done there in East Africa is we have installed, um, about a hundred large solar powered wells, uh, you know, four to 7,000 people a pop usually. And we're closing in on 400,000 people served and, uh, we, uh, our goal is a million and we've had a ton of players join in. We've also had NBA players join in, as you said, and every year I go over to probably once a year and we bring veterans mm-hmm. over, um, wounded veterans and retired NFL players. We had Connor Barwin go, um, for instance, for Philly fans and we climbed Kilimanjaro. That's the reason, you know, I went for the first time. And so we bring all these populations together, like veterans, uh, NBA players. We also started a right. domestic program. We're just trying to attack this thing from all angles, and um, and it's been great. But the fans of just like when we did education stuff, the fans are the yep. ones who who like we get most of our donations from like small don like small donors, not the big ones. We get people that fund a whole well, but the the backbone of what we do is is fans and listeners like the people listening to your podcast. So waterboys.org, I appreciate you guys. Chris Long, I, I can't thank you enough, my man. Uh, incredible career as a football player. Uh, incredible career. Now starting out, podcast, the Water Boys Initiative. But I'm not surprised uh, because of who you are, what you stand for, your personality, and your commitment to so many things. Uh, I, wish, I wish you nothing but success uh, in life after football. I'm going to be listening in uh, to your podcast just to say I know Chris Long. And I've had Chris Long on the Gun on One podcast, man. <laughs> so thank you so much, man, for coming on uh, D-Gun's podcast. D, you're the man. I always had the utmost respect for you. You're a fixture, bro. I, you know, I wish I, I wish you'd have been able to cover me my whole career. I would have been a lot happier. So, thank you, man. That means a lot for, to me coming from you. Thanks, buddy. And uh, hey, thanks everybody for listening in to another edition of Gun on One, the podcast. Special shout out to my man Chris Long, uh, who's a tremendous individual as an athlete and more importantly as a person. Uh, so that's going to wrap up this edition of Gun on One. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it, and of course, tune in next week for another edition as well. So until then, uh, stay blessed, everybody. More importantly, always be a blessing to whoever you encounter. production of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Elvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Elvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.